Genesis chapter 48. So it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, your father's sick. Genesis 48.1. He's dying. And so Joseph grabbed his two sons to go and visit his father for the last time, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Joseph and said, Behold, your son Joseph is coming to you. And so Israel gathered together his strength, and he sat up on the bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you a fruitful nation and multiply thee, and I will make you a multitude of people, and will give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession." And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came in the land of Egypt, are mine, even as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine, and your issue, whichever you have of after them, will be yours, and will be called after the name of their brothers in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, and when there was yet a little way to come to Bethlehem, and I buried her there in the way to Ephrath, the same is Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. As he said, Bring them, I pray you to me, and I will bless them verses 1 through 9. So as Joseph comes into his father, Jacob first of all rehearses to Joseph the fact that God met him in the area near Bethel, or Luz, which was later called Bethel, the house of God. And it was there that God promised to give to Jacob and to his seed that land as an everlasting covenant. Now it is interesting that God gave to Abraham the promise, to Isaac the promise, and now to Jacob, God spoke and gave the promise of this land. Now, after Jacob, there is no account of God's appearing to any of the sons of Jacob to confirm the promise that he made. God made the promise to Abraham, confirmed it to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob. But now Joseph hears it directly from his dad, not from God directly. But now his father is relating to him the promise of God, how that God promised to me and to my seed that land, an everlasting covenant. And so he is relating it now to Joseph. Now he said, the two sons that have been born from you here in Egypt, I'm claiming them. They're going to be mine. If you have any more children after this, they can be named after you. But these two I'm claiming for me. They're going to be just like Reuben and Simeon, and they will get their inheritance in the land. Now, it was customary that the oldest son receive a double portion of the inheritance. But here Jacob is promising to Joseph the double portion. The double portion will be in Ephraim and Manasseh. So he gets the double portion of the blessing from Jacob in that Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons born of Joseph, will become tribes and will inherit the lands as tribes. But which we then see that there are more than 12 tribes of Israel because Ephraim and Manasseh became tribes and received their inheritance in Israel. So Joseph becoming two, Ephraim and Manasseh, in reality, there are 13 tribes in Israel. Now, Jacob also said, 
Any that are born after this day, they're yours, but these two are mine. So it is interesting that in one of the listings of the tribes, there's actually a listing of the tribe of Joseph. So if indeed there were descendants of Joseph and there was a tribe of Joseph, they did not receive any actual inheritance in the land. But the inheritance went to Ephraim and Manasseh. But the land was divided into 12 portions and apportioned out to 12 tribes. But the 13th tribe was the tribe of Levi. They did not receive any portion in the land, but actually dwelt in about 48 cities that were given to the tribes of Levi. But no portion of the land was apportioned out to them. It's also interesting that we always read of 12 tribes. You never read of the 13 tribes of Israel, but of the 12 tribes of Israel. And whenever there is a listing of the tribes, there are always a listing of only 12 and sometimes one tribe or another is deleted from the listing of the twelve. For instance, when we read of the twelve tribes of Israel that are sealed in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, the tribe of Dan is missing from that list. And usually in the listing of the tribes, the tribe of Levi is missing from the list. But Levi is inserted in Revelation chapter 7, and the tribe of Dan is deleted from the listing of the tribes as those who will be sealed during the Great Tribulation, and the 144,000 sealed to be spared a portion, at least, of the Great Tribulation that is coming. And so 12 is a symbolic number. It is the number of human government. That is the reason why you have 12 apostles, 12 tribes, though there may be more than 12. In talking about governmental purposes, there are always 12 listed and only 12 for the purpose of human-type government. 12 is the number of human government. So the 12 tribes of Israel, though in reality there were 13, possibly if indeed the tribe of Joseph existed separate from Ephraim and Manasseh, you had 14 tribes, but never a listing of 14, only of 12. So he claims the two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They're just going to be like Reuben and Simeon, and they shall receive their inheritance in the land. And so... Then Israel, and no doubt his eyes were failing him, he saw just the shadowy figures of Joseph's two sons, who at this time were probably in their 20s. They weren't just little kids. They were probably in their 20s at this time because Joseph by this time was 56 years old. And so his sons are in their early 20s at this point. And so Jacob sees these two others and he says, who are these? And Joseph answers, these are my two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Joseph thought they'd bring them near to him, and he kissed them, and he hugged them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had given up ever seeing your face, and lo, God is even showing me your children. Verse 10 and 11. Now, he had really figured that he would never be able to see the face of Joseph again, but God in his grace, not only did he get to see Joseph again, but Joseph's children. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh 
was the firstborn, verses 12 through 14. So as Joseph brought up the two sons to his father in the order that they might receive a blessing from his father, he brought them up so that Jacob's right hand would rest upon Manasseh and his left hand would rest upon Ephraim because Manasseh was the older and thus the first blessing was to go to the older son. But as he brought them up in this order, the old man, so that the old man might lay his hands on the two boys, the old man crossed his hands and he put his right hand over here on Ephraim and his left over on Manasseh and began to bless them. And Joseph said, wait a minute, dad, wait a minute. You've got a mistake here. And he says, oh, son, I know what I'm doing. And so Ephraim was then blessed and given a place of prominence over Manasseh, though he was not the firstborn. Now, this is not the first time this has happened, even with Jacob himself. The old man that was doing this, he was not the firstborn. His brother Esau was firstborn, and yet the blessing had come to him. And so now he's doing the same thing with his grandsons, crossing his hands and pronouncing the greater blessing upon Ephraim. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before my father Abraham and Isaac did walk. The God which fed me all my life long to this day. Verses, verse 15. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Recognizing that his provision, the bottom line, had come from God. Sure, he'd been out there working. Sure, he'd been out there taking care of the cattle and the sheep and therefore, and so forth. And yet, when it comes right down to it, I depend upon God for my sustenance. If God doesn't sustain me, I'm not going to be sustained. God has fed me all the days of my life. And the angel which redeemed me, verse 16. Now this is interesting. He blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac did walk, that is God the Father, the God which fed me all the days of my life to this day, that would be the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry to the saints. The angel which re redeemed me from all evil, that would be the work of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And so here you actually have the Trinity of God being mentioned in the prayer of Abraham. God of my father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who has fed me, the angel of the Lord who redeemed me. Bless the lads and let my name be upon them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph th saw that his father had laid the right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and move it to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, father, for this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head, and his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a great people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In you shall Israel be blessed, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Verse 
16 through 22. And so one portion more, two portions going to Joseph, and thus the birthright being passed on to Joseph, his receiving of the two portions. Chapter 49, and Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which will befall you in the last days. Verse 1. This is probably the grandest hour of the old man, Jacob. He had some pretty rough hours. Life had been pretty hard. And as he said to the Pharaoh, my days had been 130 years and few and evil are the days of my pilgrimage. They had been tough years, but he rose to the grandest hour in the hour of his death, gathering his sons together just before he dies in order that he might prophesy to them and of them that which should befall them in the years to come. Gather yourselves together and hear the sons of, hear sons of Jacob and hearken to Israel your father. Reuben, verses 2 through 3. The boys now standing around the bed, probably in the order of their birth. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Verse 3. It should have been with Reuben, the firstborn, and as yet you're unstable as water. You will not excel. Verse 4. And it's true that none from the tribe of Reuben ever did excel in anything. Just wasn't there. Later on, Reuben desired to receive his portion and his inheritance really outside the land, and he never did excel. The tribe never did excel because you went to your father's bed then you defiled it you went up to my couch verse 4 now actually if you remember that earlier in the story it tells how that reuben went to his father's concubine bilhah and so jacob didn't say much about it here and then but here it is death he brings it up and points out this characteristic of weakness which will be a mark and a trait of reuben unstable as water, keeping him from excelling. Simeon and Levi are brothers. They're instruments of cruelty in their house. O oh, my soul, come not into their secret, into their assembly. My honor be not united, for in their anger they killed a man, and in their self-will they dug down a wall. Verses 5 and 6. Now that phrase it's also translated in the revised, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Verse 7. So the tribes of Simeon and Levi were not to dwell together. They were brothers. They seemed to be closer than any of the other brothers. These two seemed to be paired off together, but the common bond between them wasn't a good bond. It was the fact that they were both ill-tempered, violent tempers. Cursed be their anger and their self-will. But that seemed to bind them together. But when you come into the land, you're going to be scattered. The tribe of Simeon was really scattered throughout the land. And of course, Levi never did receive any inheritance within the land, but dwelt in the 48 cities that were appointed to Levi. And so the prophecy was fulfilled. Now, now, he gets to Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Verse 8. Now, the word Judah means praise. 
Your hand shall be at the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Verse 8. Now he's prophesying really that from the tribe of Judah shall come the kingly reign. Your father's brothers will bow down before you. Evidently with Judah, there was a real change of character. Now, when Joseph's brothers were thinking about killing him and just leaving him in the pit to die, when they saw the caravan coming toward Egypt, it was Judah that suggested that they sell him to the people in the caravan, probably not knowing Reuben's plan to come back and get him out of the pit and knowing the brothers' full intention to just kill him. And he figured to save his life by selling him, and at least he'd be alive. He can be sold as a slave to Egypt, but at least he'll be alive. And the suggestion of Jacob was probably to spare the life of Joseph. But even over this, he no doubt had remorse. And later on, when Jacob said, I won't let Benjamin go down, Judah said, Dad, I'll be the surety for him. I'll hold me responsible. And he was probably the most responsible of the sons. Now, when they came to Egypt and Joseph put his silver cup in Benjamin's sack, and when they came and they unloaded the sacks and they saw the cup and they said, we don't want you all. We'll just take this kid back and let him be the slave. Judah came back and said, look, I'll give myself for my brother. I'll become your slave. Let him go back to his dad. And Judah became the spokesman, and he stepped up and showed really a lot of courage, a lot of real metal at this point. So that is the beginning to develop in Judah. And now Jacob carries it on in the prophecy and begins to prophesy the fact that Judah shall actually become a ruling tribe. The father's children will bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp, and from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. Verse 9. And so Judah became really the symbol. The lion became really the symbol of Judah. The lion was. And there began to be the prophecy of the lion of the tribe of Judah that would come. Of course, it was fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and to him shall the gathering of people be. Verse 10. Now this prophecy was fulfilled, Shiloh indicating or speaking of the Messiah that was to come, the Savior. The word Shiloh comes from the root of peace, shalom, and until peace comes, and the peace the Prince of Peace, of course, Jesus Christ. Now the scepter did not depart from Judah until the coming of the Lord, but 40 years after Jesus was crucified, the scepter departed from Judah. So that means that Messiah would have had to have come sometime before 70 AD in order that this prophecy of Jacob be truly fulfilled. Otherwise, the whole prophetic thing is off. So we know that Shiloh did come. The peace of Israel did come, even Jesus Christ. And when he came, he said, if you only knew the things that belong to your peace in this, your day, but they are hid from your eyes. The day of his coming as the Messiah, the official day of his coming as the Messiah, 
his proclamation as the disciples were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he came to the city of Jerusalem. Looking over the city that day, weeping over the city, he cried, If you only knew the things that belong to your peace, Shalom, until the Shiloh, Shalom, come. And so unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Actually, he will be the ruler, binding his foal unto him. That is Shiloh, Christ, the gathering of the people, binding his foal into the vine and his ass's colt in the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Zebulun, the next, shall dwell at the haven of the sea, or toward the sea, and shall be a haven of ships, and his borders shall be unto Zidon. Verses 11 through 13. So Zebulun was given that area in the northern part of Israel, the portion which is now Lebanon. However, he never did take that full possession that he was promised. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens, and he saw that rest was good, and the land it was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. Verses 14 and 15. In other words, he's as strong as an ox, but he's lazy, and thus a characteristic of the tribe of Issachar was though they were strong, yet they were lazy, and thus became a servant to tribute. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Verse 16. And the word Dan means judge. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that bites the horse's heels, so that his rider shall fall backwards. Verse 17. Now, Dan, of course, inherited the northernmost part of the land in the area, just at the base of Mount Hermon, in the area which is today the Hula Valley, which lies between the mountains of Lebanon and the Golan Heights. This valley of the Upper Jordan, upwards from the Sea of Galilee in the area of Upper Jordan, was the area where the tribe of Dan settled. Clear on up there. Let's see the ruins of the city of Dan is just about four or five miles from the base of Mount Hermon. So you're clear up on the upper end of the valley, and Dan was a tough tribe, and they did protect the nation Israel from the attacks of nations coming down from the north. Now, here in the midst of the whole thing, verse 18, not related to any of the prophecies to his sons, Jacob cried, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Verse 18, the word salvation, O Lord, or translated salvation, O Lord, is actually Yeshua, or the name Jesus. I have waited for Jesus, Yeshua, or the Lord's salvation, or Jehovah's salvation. So it's very interesting that this is the first mention of the word salvation in the Bible. And its mention is just in the prophecy of Jacob as he cries now, out now in the midst of his prophesying over his sons. I have waited for Yeshua. I have waited for Jesus or later Joshua. But Yeshua is the Hebrew word here. And it's translated thy salvation, O Lord. The tribe of Gad, now Gad means a troop, a troop shall overcome him, and he shall overcome at the last. 
verse 19. Gad again with the Reubenites took up inheritance outside of the land of Israel, and they were overcome early, but yet the prophecy is in the end, they will overcome. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties, verse 20. And so we've got the baker tribe, those that would go into the baking industry, yielding royal dainties, great pastries. And some of the tribe of Asher are no doubt over there today because some of the greatest bread and pastries you've ever eaten in your life come out of Israel. Naphtali is a hind let loose. He gives goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him, and hated him. But his bough abode in strength. The arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of your father, who shall help you, and by the Almighty, who shall bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep, that lies under, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessing of your father has prevailed above the blessing of my progenitors. Under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brothers. Verses 21 through 26. Joseph, separate from his brothers, a beautiful individual, so the great blessing that was pronounced upon him, he's a fruitful bough, he would be a fruitful person. Tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh became great and fruitful tribes, a bough whose branches run over the wall. So not only being blessed, but become a blessing to others. And though he was to go through great trials and did endure great trials, the archers have sorely grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. All those arrows of hatred and bitterness and jealousy and envy and temptation and false imprisonment and lies shot at him, and yet his bow, his bow abode in strength. Not retaliation, no striking back, willing to commit judgment to God whom judgment belongs, turning the other cheek. His bow abode in strength, and the secret of his strength was that his hand the hand of his arms was strengthened by the mighty hand of Jehovah. God was holding his hand. God was giving him the capacity to restrain. His capacity was not a natural capacity. It was a supernatural one. He was being held by God in restraint. And God can hold us in restraint. I think that we Christians too often are willing to excuse the demonstrations of our old nature saying, nah, that's just me. Yes, that's just you. Curse you. God wants you to make, he wants to make you a new you. God wants to help you. God wants to strengthen you. And we're not just to live in a peaceful coexistence with our old nature and with our old man. We, by the spirit, are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And we just can't pass these things off as, well, that's just the way that I was born. Yes, that's the way that you were born in corruption from your parents, but you've been born now by incorruptible seed. You're supposed to be different. And if you're not different, then something's wrong. Something's wrong with your experience with God. Because anyone who is truly born of God is going to manifest a changed life and a changed 
nature. The purpose of being born again is that you might have a new nature, a nature now after the spirit, no longer after the flesh. That which was born of the flesh is flesh, John 3, 6. Crucify it, renounce it, learn to hate it in order that we might live and walk now after the new nature, the nature of Christ, born of his incorruptible seed. I now have a new nature. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, For if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Everything has become new. And if you're still going around manifesting the old nature all the time and giving way to the old nature and giving place to the old nature, something is definitely wrong with your relationship with God. And you need to repent and reckon that old man to be dead. Don't cuddle it. So many people are proud of their nasty temperaments and proud of their ability to tell people off. And they've given away so many pieces of their mind. Well, there's not very much left. Nothing to be proud of. It's something to be ashamed of. God, forgive me. I reckon that old man, that old nature to be dead. I don't want him. I don't want any part of him. I desire that new nature after Christ, that nature of love and tenderness, and forgiving, and kindness, and compassion. I desire that Christ be formed in me, and his likeness within me, and thus give no place to the flesh, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. And as Christians, unfortunately, too many are making provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. And they're not really walking after the newness of life in Christ Jesus, walking after the Spirit. And thus, you you are a monstrosity. You're still a spiritual infant, though maybe your trace, you trace your born-again experience back some 15, 20, 25 years, you have never developed spiritually. You still don't know how to talk. You still can't walk. You're still there rattling your crib and demanding that people bow and acquiesce to your wishes and your demands feed you when you're hungry, rock you when you're upset, and just take care of you as a little infant. And you've never grown, you've never developed, and that's all right for a stage in our Christian experience when we're first coming into Christ and all. That's fine that you be cuddled and taken care of and be fed and all, but it's time. But spiritual immaturity is a great tragedy. And as the scripture said, at the time when you should be actually able to eat meat, you still have need of milk because you're not able to take up meat up till now. And even now, he said, you're not able to bear it. So I still have to feed you with the milk of the word. But at the beginning, you are to desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow, First Peter 2.2. 2. But there comes a time when we grow beyond the bottle itself and we need nourishment other than that just out of the bottle. We need to grow up. We need to renounce the old nature and the old man. We need to begin to seek that nature of Christ to be perfected in us that we might be what God wants us to be. And so Joseph, the secret of his strength was God was holding him. God will hold you. God will help you. God will give you control. You don't have to be Simeon and Reuben or Simeon and Levi. You can have the control of God. And Joseph blessed 
special blessings. The blessings of your father have prevailed. Blessings of the progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They'll be on the head of Joseph. And Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he will divide the spoil. Verse 27. Benjamin was tough. It was one of the most toughest tribes in Israel. They were the greatest fighters. Their career was marked by disaster. They were almost eliminated at one time as a tribe in Israel because of wickedness. All of the tribes of Israel gathered against Benjamin and were scarcely able to defeat them. They were so tough. From Benjamin came the first king of Israel, even Saul. From Benjamin came the great apostle, Paul. Tough characters indeed, able to endure just far beyond the normal enduring capacity of a person, the tribe of Benjamin. So so this is his dying act, this pronouncement of the future of his sons. And then even as he had told Joseph, Joseph, swear to me, you'll bury me not in Egypt, but back in my own land. And Joseph swore. Now, he's demanding the same thing from his sons. Now look, bury me back there in the cave that Abraham bought, where I bought, where I buried Leah. I want to be buried by her. Put me back there. It is interesting that the love that he had for Rachel, that he didn't desire to be buried in the tomb of Rachel, that still existed near Bethlehem. But bury me next to Leah, actually, there in the cave of Machpelah. And there are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is it, that their father spoke to them and blessed them. Everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them, and he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah, the purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed, and he yielded up his spirit, and was gathered to his people. Verses 28-33 Now, having said this, the old man pulled up his legs into his bed, and that was it. He was gone. Mm-hmm.